Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast today. Uh, a really, really interesting coach who I'm excited to dive into some things with. Uh, we're being joined today by Pat Bailey. He is the recruiting coordinator at Oregon State, uh, one of the best Division One programs in the country. Uh, they're in Corvallis, Oregon in the Pac-12. Uh, I'll give you a quick background on Coach Bailey before we jump into questions with him. I think he's, you know, one of the really interesting things to me about Coach Bailey is his background, and we'll certainly get into a lot of this stuff throughout the podcast. But uh, just to kind of go back, go all the way back, he's from Moscow, Idaho, originally. Uh, graduated from the University University of Idaho in 1978, where he was the captain of the baseball team. Uh, he spent 17 years coaching high school baseball. Now, toward the end of that, for one season, he was an assistant coach at the University of Portland, but then went back to high school for uh, several more seasons before taking the head coaching job at George Fox University, a Division three school in Newburgh, Oregon. He was the head coach there from 1996 through 2007. He compiled a career record at George Fox of 353 wins and 158 losses. In 2004, the team won the Division three National Championship. That year, he also won the National Coach of the Year Award and uh, was also named the Northwest Conference's Coach of the Year eight times throughout his time at George Fox. Uh, he joined Oregon State in 2008. A couple highlights there. I'm sure if you're familiar with college baseball, you know about Oregon State's program. But in 2012, when he was there, he won the ABCA's Ethics and Coaching Award. Uh, that's given to coaches to re who represent the highest standards of sportsmanship, integrity, and character and ethics. Uh, annually by the ABCA. He was promoted to associate head coach in 2013. The 2017 team set the school record by winning 56 games, which is an unbelievable number, especially when you consider that in the regular season, Division I's play 56 games. <laughs> and throughout the, with their regular season plus postseason, they won 56 games in 2017. Just incredible. 2018, they won the national championship. Uh, 2020, was his 13th season at Oregon State. The 2020 season was obviously cut short. Um, in his time at Oregon State, they've made three trips to Omaha. The team has compiled a record of 501 compared to 214 losses in his 13 seasons as an assistant coach at Oregon State. They've had six 40-win seasons. And for anybody that, again, that, that, that likes college baseball but the, the numbers don't always translate, a 40-win college season is probably equivalent to a major league team winning 100 games, a, a really incredible feat and something that you know a handful of the best teams in the country will do. Uh, but six 40-win seasons. Uh, the t his team has won the ABCA's Academic Excellence Award uh, three times, 2016, 17, and 18. 20, uh, 2019, they had the first overall draft pick in Adley Rutschman. Um, pretty incredible in 23 years overall as a coach as a college coach coach bailey's teams have compiled a record of 813 wins to 345 losses uh just a guy who's um uh, i think gets it at so many levels obviously understands winning and, and so many more things exemplified by the awards he's won and other uh, tons of other things so anyway coach bailey so excited to have you in the program today appreciate you joining us for the podcast thanks jeff really appreciate being on Usually, like to start with something, Coach Bailey, from uh, someone's resume that stands out. And to me, what stands out is going from being a Division Three. Well, one of the things is going from being a Division Three head coach to being a a you know Power Five assistant coach. 
how did you make that jump? I, I think there are probably a million people out there <laughs> at, at the Division three level or, or other levels that are that would love to make that jump from from whatever level they're coaching in college. How uh, how did that happen? How did that transpire? Did you know someone there ahead of time? Did you develop relationships, or did you just apply? Yeah, I think it's all about relationships. To be honest with you, Jeff, it's uh, Coach Casey and I were friends, uh, good friends before uh, I even got the job. And he'd offered me a job earlier, but my children were one was in middle school and one was in high school. I said, "There's no way I could leave without my kids graduate." Unfortunately, uh, job opened up again. And uh, right after they won the 2007 World Series, and Pat and I met, and uh, we probably spent the first hour talking about what it, I asked him the question. I said, "I know you're the head baseball coach for friends, but what is your program really all about?" And we talked about building men of character. We probably spent you know 45 minutes an hour just talking about that and what that means, without even talking about baseball specific stuff. And I went home, told my wife about it. And, uh, he sold me because I wouldn't work for somebody who didn't have a similar background. And I truly believe that's what coaching is. It's, it's building men of character is way more important than wins and losses. And I think because of that, this is one of the main reasons why we win so much. No question, you guys win on a very consistent basis there. And I know that that's something that's very, that's really important to you. We, you and I, in our past conversations, have talked about how important it is to build men of character. And I think that there are a lot of coaches at a lot of levels who are listening to this, and whether you're, a, frankly, a little league coach or a college coach or you're coaching in pro ball, that, that still is something that, that can be attainable for every coach. What does that mean to you to build men of character? Like, How, how do you define that and how do you accomplish that as, as a coach? How do you make that a priority for yourself and your team? Well, we have a saying, it's DTRT, means do the right thing. And that's whether you're in the, on the field, you're in the classroom. And our team GPA this uh, spring term, with the COVID, we're really concerned because we weren't going to be seeing our guys every day. We ended up with 3.59 this, this time. And overall for the year, we had right around a 3.3 again. And so just, you know, it, it, it's about checking in with guys. Uh, we have family meetings every day that go about 10 to 15 minutes before we start practice. A lot of those meetings... Uh, are not baseball related. They're more related to life type things from, you know, how do you treat your parents? Uh, when you're on a date, how do you treat a girl? I mean, just all those things that uh, correlate with being a man. Uh, and I really think that our country, one of the biggest problems we have today is that we lack real men in our country. And I think it's the number one reason why we're having a lot of issues that we have. Uh, and, you know, from being a husband, if you decide to get married, to being a great father, uh, being a contributing member in your community, just all those things factor into being a man of character. So you actually talk with your whole team about the way that they that the kids treat their parents, the way that that your players treat uh, treat a date when they go out on a date with the with the girl. You, you guys actually. You discuss that as a team, like that. It's that big of a deal to you that you meet as a team and discuss those things. Yes, we do. And you know, I mean, even I mean, honestly, the type of music that guys listen to. You know, we talk about stuff like that. Some of the music that young people listen to is pretty disgusting. So, you know, I mean, I, I I've said to our guys a few times. I walked by the locker room. That song was about your mom. Would you be listening to it? Would you call your mom? 
you know, a bitch for a hoe, you know, you would. So, I mean, and, you know, I, that, I don't miss that kind of stuff because that's a slap in the face to my wife. And I love and adore my wife. So, you know, I mean, it's just, I, it's just little things like that where you're teaching guys to, to just do the right thing. I think it's incredible. And, and I don't, I, I know that a lot of coaches out there, probably probably most coaches, I think it'd be fair to say, have those in, one-on-one conversations with guys. But I think it's incredible that you guys talk to your whole team about it. Now, is that something that that you talk about in the recruiting process? Like, are you, you know, are, are your yeah. kids very aware of this? Are you afraid of scaring anybody off by talking about that kind of stuff in recruiting? No. And here's the deal: if you're really honest and upfront with guys when you recruit them, they know exactly what they're getting into. And if it's something they don't buy into, they don't, it doesn't match our culture, then they're not going to come. I mean, there, there's, there's, we call them our pillars, which is our core foundation. And when I talk to recruit the first time, I always share those with them and tell them these things are absolutely, you know, they're, they're a firm foundation and you can't violate them. And if you violate them, you're, you're not going to match our culture. So it's something that's really important to us. And, the things I share by talking about character building, building men of character, and I tell them, I, I say, talent is the foundation of your house. We, we can't recruit you unless you have a lot of talent. But the roof's the character, and if the, if the roof leaks, the foundation's burnt. And so I talk about that. I talk about hard work, and I believe hard work starts in the classroom and leaks out onto the baseball field so we get really good students. I talk to them about being selfless. What does that mean? You know, this isn't about our coaching staff. This isn't about any one single player. This is about our program and the legacy and the integrity of our program. And the last thing we talk about is just we're very process-oriented. We want them to enjoy the game, enjoy the process of just playing the game itself. So those are the things I talk to them about. There's so much there that I'd I'd like to talk about. Uh, But before I do, I want to ask you, as it, this this may have changed as you got older, I don't know. Uh, but has there ever been a time when the talent level of a player was so high that you were willing to bend a little bit um, on some of those some, on some of the core foundational things that you want to see in a player? Have you ever bent on something like that? And and, and I, I'm just this is an honest question. Have and how did that turn out? Like did it, I mean. Have you ever done it, and how did it turn out in the long run? If you if you did if you did so, no, absolutely not. You know that you can get the most talented guy in the country, and if he's not a, if he doesn't match the culture of our programs, it's not going to work. So uh, we're very clear about that, and we and we we get just great guys here because of that. That makes it more fun to coach still. So I mean, we had a guy, uh, and I won't tell you who he was, but he was one of the top players on the West Coast. And uh, this is back when we could actually show guys around. And he was a sophomore in high school, and I was showing him around. And between him and his parents, I came to the office. We were going to offer him a scholarship. And I said, hang on, i got to talk to Coach Casey. And I went and told Coach Casey, said, do not offer these guys a scholarship. That's why I saw talk about it later on. And we had not offer him. And he, he called, and I just said, you know, I think it's, it's best in terms of... Uh, for you that you find another place to go that we just we we cannot offer you a scholarship. So anyhow, that's that I just think that you just can't 
if you let one guy in because of talent and he's a bad person, it would, he could destroy your whole program in one year. Just one person. So, especially if he's a high influencer. So, yeah, we, we do a lot of background checks on guys. We ask a lot of questions uh, that relate to what we believe in and, our, and the character piece of it. So, yeah, that stuff's all really important. When you're trying to evaluate a player's talent, and, I, and I'll ask this question for a young college coach who's listening to this, who, who wants to follow this path, wants to follow the same uh, ideals that you have, how, how do you actually get to the bottom of what a person's character is? Because you guys are recruiting kids not just locally. You're obviously recruiting kids from all over the, all over the country, um, and it's, it's probably impossible to know every single like to have a personal relationship with with a coach where you can, you know, you've got a long-standing relationship. It's one thing there, you have a long-standing relationship with a coach, and you can ask a ask a coach, well, "What's this kid like?" Uh, but how do you dig deep enough where you feel like you know someone's character well enough? You know, what are your what are your pro, what's your process there? What are your steps there for again for a young coach listening to this who wants to do it and isn't isn't quite sure how because, and I want to get out of the way and let you answer this, but because sometimes when you you ask a travel coach or a high school coach, hey, what's this kid like? Well, he's the best player on that team, so you probably haven't seen a lot out of him because he, uh, he doesn't fail much, and, and other players probably look up to him. And it's one thing to be a leader when you're the best player on the team. It's, it's another when you're not. And, I, um, you know, some coaches are probably hesitant to say, you know, a, a something about a kid and, and maybe ruin his chance or – if a coach sees something small for him, which is going to be big for you, maybe he doesn't think it's important enough to bring it up. And I know some of those things can happen sometimes, and sometimes you get a kid on campus and he's not quite what you heard he would be. What's your process to dig down deep enough to find out what it, what the character of a player really is? Well, first of all, you need to watch him play, and preferably watch him play more than one game. I mean, if there's a guy that I'm really interested in, I'd like to see him play a minimum of three games and just see how he responds. And I love it when they do that because, it, you know, I know they're, they're very talented athletically, but when they fail, how do they respond? And I'll watch them. I'll even watch them go in the dugout and see what happens when they go in the dugout. Watch how they communicate with their teammates and, you know, how much they talk on the field and what are they a positive influence or a negative influence on their team. Uh, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is uh, meeting with the family and, and ask them, questions that are, that are, you know, questions related to character and some other things. Yeah, I've heard what we do with baseball uh, is the second thing. And then you're right. I mean, it's, you know, you, there's some travel ball coaches because they, you know, they're promoting their players so they can promote their, their summer programs. I understand that. But there's guys that I really trust, and there's guys that I don't trust. So... Uh, we have to dig a little deeper. Guys that I really trust, they're really honest with me about players. Those guys are as good as gold. And then high school coaches, you know, are for the most part, high school coaches are really honest. Um, and I don't know if it's because they're, you know, the integrity of their program. I don't know what it is, uh, but um, I, we always contact high school coaches as well. Uh, and try to contact other people that we know on the area to find out about players. You know, talk to scouts. Because scouts see guys play that are really talented as well. So just a variety of things that we do. And, and every case, I would say, is a case-by-case type, type thing. It's 
Peggy Hackett stuck on, but most of our players come from Northern California up through Oregon and Washington. So, you know, our primary recruiting is in-state because we only have 11.7 scholarships. So if you can get an in-state guy, you can get an in-state guy here in Oregon on a tuition and book scholarship is 38%. So uh, you can do that with an out-of-state guy and it's, you know, 65%. So... Uh, we, we have to get in-state guys to, to balance that out. And then you have uh, Washington, which Washington has a lot of talent in it. Uh, the state of Washington, especially up in the Seattle, Tacoma, Olympia area. Uh, we recruit Canadian kids. Uh, we've got, we're going to have four Canadian guys on our team this coming year. And then from there, from when you go up the, down the I-5 corridor, which is California, Washington, Oregon, Canada, when you get outside of that, uh, well, that's our primary recruiting area, but we will get guys outside of that too. So uh, just we just got to be del- we got to be very diligent in our in our evaluation of players. And that diligence is it's it's not easy to stick to, and I think that the success that your teams have had. It's probably a reflection of how much you're able to stick to that. Now, was it, was it the same when you first started in college? Obviously, you spent a while in high school, so you weren't, you know, you weren't 23 in your first college job. But when you got to, um, well, you spent a year at, at uh, Porton. But when you got to George Fox, were you that way already? I mean, what was it? Did you have that as kind of one of your core philosophies that this is the type of player I'm going to recruit, and and that's going to be it. We're going to stick to that. Did you have that at George Fox, or was that something you developed in that time? I had that by the time I was George Fox when I was a high school coach. Uh, I'll just kind of go back to my high school years. When I first became a coach, I, I mean, I learned a lot of things. One is, you know, I, I got to the point where I told parents, unless you're willing to quit your job and come and watch practice every day, you have no right to call me and tell me who should be playing who shouldn't be playing. Uh, that's the first thing I, I did. And that was after about being a head coach, because I became a head coach when I was 26 years old. Uh, so, you know, that was the first thing. And then the second thing is I told parents they want to talk to me. It had to be face-to-face. It could be on the phone. Don't send me letters. If you send me an anonymous letter, I'm just going to shred it. I'm not going to read it. Uh, you know, being very clear with parents and expectations. I don't care what level you're at. You want to play your best, guys. And I, my my deal is play your best nine, not your nine best. And what I mean by that, guys, they're going to help you win. I can give you example of that if you want, but I'll just tell you an example in high school. My last year at Westland High School, we had a young man that was a really talented player. He's a football, basketball, baseball player, but he had he had some attitude issues, and we were very clear with him at the end of the year. And he got mad at one of our coaches one day and told him to off. And I said, you're not. And we're getting ready to go in the class. He was our starting third base. And he's our lead off there. I said, go turn your stuff in. You're finished. You're done playing this year. And he told me that we'd never made it to the playoffs and do well. Well, we brought up a JV guy to play third base that was a really good player. We got the state championship next. And that's a great example of there's not any one single individual that's more important than the legacy of your program. There's anybody. So when I went to George Fox, George Fox is a Christian school. And so I was very clear when I recruited guys in terms of telling this is a Christian school and, and here are the roles and, and 
and the expectations. And if it's something you're not interested in, you know, you need to go somewhere else. So uh, it's very clear about that. But I also was clear about how much it would help them as, as individuals and human beings. So, um, you know, just we, everywhere I've been on, uh, from even high school to here, let's just be honest. If you, you can be the greatest coach in the world, but if you don't have a lot of talent, you're not going to win. And we've been blessed with a lot of talent. I mean, 18 and 19, we had four first-round draft picks. So, and they're all great guys. Nick Madrigal uh, was the fourth pick in the draft in 2018. I think Nick finished here. He's a three-seven student, somewhere around there. Abby Rushman was a 4.0 student and brought in 42 college credits in, in, in Oregon State. Um, Trevor Larnick, while he was here, was like a 365, 37 student. Caden Grenier was a 4.0 student out of Las Vegas, Bishop Corman High School, and came here and was a great student here as well. So uh, it's funny how those things work out. They just, you know, those things just, guys that are really good students use their high character guys. I want to ask you another question. These are just thoughts that I've had in the past as uh, as a college coach. You take over a new program. So just say that you were to get a head coaching job uh, or you were to take a head coaching job somewhere at a program that had been struggling. Um, not a very not you know not a very successful program. Do you and obviously in the college landscape, winning is pretty important or else you could lose your job. Um, do you, if you had to, to favor one or the other, if you took over that type of college program that was had not been very successful, and you you wanted to turn on as quickly as possible, would you, would you rather take guys, you know, trying trying to take guys with that were uh, that fit the character that you wanted, you might end up with some guys who weren't that talented at first, just because you you, you weren't. Uh, a proven program, and, and especially if it was a smaller, you know, not a Power Five type, but even within the Power Five, you've, you've clearly got your teams that are at the top of each conference regularly, and the, and the kids in the region, you know, they know who the who the better teams are. But at first, would you prioritize the be, the most talented kids who not necessarily were terrible, were, were bad kids, but maybe maybe check, I don't know three out of four are the boxes that you needed for their character. Or maybe you saw them on the road and you saw them play and you thought they maybe had a little bit of, um, uh, you know, it didn't handle failure as well as you would like them to. Just something that maybe wasn't uh, uh, huge red flags, but maybe yellow flags or maybe small red flags. But you thought, if I get this guy on my roster, this this person can help us win a lot of games, you know, sooner and, and winning will help us attract the the total package of player you know the the person who's got the character we want and has the physical ability we want if you really had to pick between the person with the character and a, and a little less talent or the talented player with a little less character at first building a program from scratch or not from scratch but but uh, but taking a program that had not been successful and trying to turn them around quickly which of those would you favor and why you may have already answered that in part but I'm just curious to, to hear your thoughts on that specifically well, it goes back to your core foundational beliefs and things that just a player can't violate. And so, you know, when you recruit guys, uh, I don't care whether you're, I mean, my first year at George Fox, year before they went 12 and 31, and we, we went to the playoffs my first year. And we had some guys that were there from 
previous <laughs> coaching staff. And, you know, there's a couple guys, honestly, that I want to talk to AD about that I want to get rid of. And he said, you can't. I mean, it's their last year here. You, you've got to take care of them. And, and Alan, so I, I met those guys in the business. I said, here's the deal. I gave them specific things that had to abide by it. I said, if you don't abide by these, I'm, I'm going to catch them. And they were two of the best players on our team. Uh, but, yeah, and they changed. I mean, I just was very quick. If you're really clear about your expectations, it's like a classroom teacher. I, don't, I can't choose the people that come to my classroom, but I have specific rules you have to abide by. And if you don't abide by those rules, you're not going to be in this classroom. So, and I never, well, I shouldn't say never, one time in my entire teaching career, 17 years, I had to take a student out of my class and take him to our, our assistant principal who was in charge of discipline. And I told the assistant principal, I said, I want this guy out of my class and I want him out now. And he took him out and the kid, the kid had to go to a junior college to get the credit because it was a class he had to have to graduate. And that's the only time I've ever done that. Um, you know, I just think you, you have very clear rules and if you, if you just make sure that you don't give into those rules or those standards, I think standards are probably better than saying rules. Uh, if you have very clear standards and guys have to abide by those to be a part of it, it's going to work and you have to hold people accountable to that. Do you believe that you can bring kids into a program who you think are good people at heart but just need some direction can you bring kids like that in and and just and help them and sort of turn them around because i think that's where a lot of coaches i mean maybe you don't need to do that or at oregon state because you have established what you've established but if you're just trying to just kind of start a program i think a lot of times a coach would look at a player and see the good in them and be optimistic and say okay this kid's got some issues but i think we can help him like i, I really think we can help him turn it around and, and become a better man and a better person. Do you believe in, in that? I mean, do you think that you can bring kids in that have some issues? 100%. You know what? I've had guys that other coaches said were not good kids. They were great kids when they were with me in our, in our, you know, in our program. I mean, we've had a few guys here at Oregon State that, you know, we had to keep a thumb on and make sure that they did the things they were supposed to do that ended up being great guys. So... In fact, I, I think some of my all-time favorite players have been young men who maybe came from broken homes or had issues that we talked about. That we're here to help men become men, and so I, I do think you can you can get a guy to change his behavior. And here's the thing: you never attack the person, never attack the person, but you can attack behavior and talk to them about changing behavior. But the person. Because, I mean, that person's created by God. That's the, every person is special. I don't care what background they're from or whatever. But in terms of the behavior part, if you have really clear expectations and you do this in a loving way, guys will change. If they know that you really care about them, you have your, your, their best interests at heart, they'll, they'll, they'll change their behavior. Much of that do you, how much of that do you think comes from the from what they see at the top, just from the example the coaches are setting, um, from from what they're seeing from their peers, their teammates at that time? How much how much does that play a, a part in it? Huge, it plays a huge role in it. We're the example setter. Is that yeah, something I mean, that you guys, guys watch coaches like? 
we're under a microscope. They watch everything we do, from how I treat my wife, my wife's around them, to you know, how I treat other other people. I mean, that's you know, it's critical. I know something else that's important to you in the recruiting part of it is is um, finding kids, recruiting kids that play for the right reason. That's something that you and I have also talked about. It was in a uh, in a past conversation, but I, I think it's important to bring up at this time. Uh, going through the recruiting process, what is the wrong reason to play? You know, what what are you seeing guys that you don't consider the right reasons, and, and something that may kind of turn you off in the recruiting process from a player? Selfishness, number one, selfishness. You know, guys that all they care about is themselves, and and that parts. You know, especially, uh, you know, in this day and age when you see guys that are, I call them rent-a-players, where they're playing for a different team every weekend in the summertime, so they're going to all these showcase events, and they're there just to showcase their talent, not necessarily win as a team. And, you know, we've created that culture, that environment at the lower levels. Um, so, you know, that's one of those things where you just, you've got to really, and we live in a soft society. I mean, just watch commercials on television. Everything's about me, me, me. Well, this life isn't about me. This life's about what I can do for other people. So uh, we want guys that are out focused, that, that really care about their teammates and want to develop a great relationship. But, I mean, we do things like last year, uh, before we even started practice, we went on a camping trip. And we put guys, we call it the Budweiser hot seat because of the ESPN. We put them in a seat. And we asked them to share something with a group that nobody knew about them. And we also asked them to share with us one movie that made you cry and tell us why. And I'm telling our guys opened up and they shared some things about their lives, like whether it was a family thing or whatever. Uh, we had guys cry. So, uh, you know, I, I just think it's important yeah, and our coaching staff did it first to be the example. Uh, and I just think it's getting guys to be vulnerable, letting them know that you really care about them, you care about every aspect of their lives, and you have their best interests at heart. I just think that's critical. When you're recruiting guys, how do you watch a guy in the field and know, like what do you specifically see that lets you know that this player is playing for the right reasons? Gosh, just they play with enthusiasm. Uh, they're always talking to teammates. They're, they're energy givers, not energy takers. You know, I always tell guys, we want pockets, we don't want drains. We, we want guys that are going to pour into people, not suck the life out of them. So, uh, just all those things uh, we watch when guys are playing. I love that. And I think a whole team of those guys, obviously, <laughs> probably a lot of fun to be around um, when you have them. Can we talk a little bit, Coach, if you don't mind breaking this down, about how you break down the scholarships on your team, how you, where you spend money. Um, if, you, if you have a plan specifically to break your scholarships, obviously, uh, as you said already earlier, Division I schools have 11.7 scholarships maximum. How do you break that up? Uh, do you have, like, limits that you only spend this much on pitching or this much on infielders or do you have like for each each specific you know nine positions in the field this is how much money we want to spend there or this is how many players we need on scholarship at these different situations is there a certain way that you break that down 
Yes. Uh, we always want to have a minimum of 12 pitchers on scholarship. And it varies every year anywhere from probably 12 to 14. And so that's the first piece because you win with pitching. I mean, pitching is just a critical part. And, and I, you can ask me if you want about the, how, how we look at pitching, but that's the first thing. And then the second thing is you, you recruit up the middle, and we want to recruit speed. I mean, and you recruit speed for defense, not offense, because they'll get the balls that other, other teams don't get to. So, like the 18 team, um, I think Nick and Caden ball for around six, four, six, five, sixty guys. Nick battered on Caden when they're up the middle. Our center fielder, Stephen Kwan, he wasn't a burner. He was a six, seven runner, but he got, he was in fourth gear from the time he started. He had, got really quick, great jumps. He played center field for us. And then, both, uh, Trevor Larnick, who was the 18th pick in the draft back in 18, uh, Trevor, oh, the Minnesota Twins, Trevor was 6'3", probably 210 pounds, but he ran a 6'7", 6'8", He can run for a bit now. So, you know, those those are the things that we recruit. Your pitchers are going to probably get anywhere between, probably right around the sixth scholarship range for those 12 to 14 guys you get on. So, uh, you know, the pitching part's the critical piece. And with enforcing, I mean, our, our catching's been crazy good. We've had, Adley was number one pick, but I go all the way back to when I first got here, our first guy that was here, Ryan Ortiz, uh, was a six-round pick. And after Ryan, we had a guy named Andrew Susak, who was the first pick in the second round by the San Francisco Giants. And then after Andrew, we had a guy named Jake Rodriguez in the 13 World Series. And Jake was a great defensive catcher. He was drafted in the 16th round by the Houston Astros. And, and Jake now works in our office. But he could really throw it back. And then after that, we had Logan Ice, who was the third-round pick, and then we had Adam, who was the first-round pick. So we've just been fortunate. We've been blessed with really good catching. And, and uh, you know, defense is a critical piece. I mean, our goal every year is to field 980 or higher in the game. And if you pitch and don't walk people and, and you, um, you defend, you're going to win a lot of baseball games. So, would you, so pitching is number one priority, and then you set up the middle. Is it is it defense up the middle first? Obviously, you need these guys to be able to to hit and, and be in the lineup. But are you primarily looking for defenders who can run up the middle as as sort of your second highest priority? Yes. Yeah, and I I would say that you know guys are that we recruit are really good athletes. So you know if you can get a guy and and. You know, I'll just take Caden Grenier as an example. When Caden was a freshman, I'm going to guess he hit somewhere around 215. His sophomore year, he probably hit about 280, and he struck out quite a bit. Well, his junior year, uh, one of the things that we work on a lot is drag, push, because he's a speed guy. And he probably, he ended up hitting probably 330 his junior year uh, when he was first round pick. And I would say he probably had 10 hits that were are more than we're dragger pushes because of the speed. So he just added that to his toolbox and ends up being a first round pick. Now he can really not uh, I mean just flat out the phone. So, you know, there we'll get guys in there that can really defend and run stuff like that and get to develop offensively. What's the priority after at, at that point? Uh, after that or 
and not to say that maybe these the next priorities they're not high priorities, but okay, so you've got you've got a couple guys up the middle that can play defense. You feel pretty good about you know about your team defensively through the middle of the field, catchers, middle guys, center field. You've got pitchers locked up. Um, where's the focus at that point? Well, the the key is uh, from an offensive standpoint is is you, you've got to decide uh, what the guys you know what you can do to help develop them into being a total package. And so, if it's a speed guy, uh, we're we're looking at you know a guy that, that can really run. So you know we we work on you know teaching them short game stuff. Not necessarily. And we sacrifice, but not a lot. But it's, we prefer drag and push over sacrifice. So we, we teach them how to do that so that they have that their repertoire. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of daily stuff. I and mean, we have so much uh, equipment here. It's unbelievable uh, in terms of technology. I mean, from wrap soda to track mat to hit tracks to K-Vest. And we have everything we can use to help analyze. We use blast motion sensors. Uh, we, we have pretty much everything we could absolutely have to use to help guys uh, to evaluate them offensively and help them become better offensive players. I'm going to ask you this question as somebody who's been around the game for a long, long time. Do you feel like you need those tools to be able to recruit in 2020, or do you still yeah. think that your eye test, radar gun, and a stopwatch are enough? I think you absolutely have to have those because it's something that even in when when they're, they're going to their club games and stuff like that, everybody's buying that equipment. I mean, we bought an uh, Edutronic camera last year. It's, it's an unbelievable camera that we got from Driveline. Uh, for our pitchers, it's it's. I mean, you could see the ball come off the fingertips. You can check to make sure that the release points consistent on all your pitches. I mean, it's just crazy that the, all the technology that's out there to help you become a better coach. And, and you know, I always tell people what your eyes seeing, what the camera shows, and we videotape all the time. We videotape every one of our scrimmages. We upload it in box so guys can watch every of that. Uh, that they have, uh, we bring them in and show them videotape because, you know, the learning curve goes up when you get videotaped a lot. I mean, it just helps guys out in terms of uh, developing them. So, yeah, I, I think technology is critical. I want to ask you just a couple more recruiting questions. This is it's just a, a subject that's really interesting to me, and I think that in the college game, if you're coaching at any level, you've got to be able to recruit. I mean, you, I think you've got to be able to recruit to to win, you've got to be able to recruit if you want to get a better job. I think that's those are things that most people understand. Um, when you are recruiting and you're debating between two people, are there? Do you recruit the best, all the just the best player on the board, or do you try to recruit to specific needs? For example, that the up the middle, the up the middle guys. Um, are you recruiting the, a shortstop or a center fielder who's the best all-around player and maybe doesn't quite fit the speed um, and, and maybe and maybe plus defense, maybe doesn't quite fit those molds, but he's a really good player because his offense is so high that, that it sort of trumps, uh, not that he can't play, but he, maybe he's an average defender, maybe he's an average runner. 
Um, or, or do you, so, so I guess the question is, do you recruit the best all-around player, or do you have specific needs, like our shortstop needs to be this, our, our center fielder needs to be this, and then our third baseman and our first baseman need to be power guys? And, and does that make sense? So do you, are you recruiting the best overall person that might uh, – so your roster might change from time to time. So one, one class might be really, really strong defensively, and you need to rely on the short game to, to score. And maybe a, couple, maybe a couple years later your team is – You've got power one through nine, and that's just kind of how it is, and, and the defense isn't quite as good as it's been in the past. Is, is there a specific way you build the roster all the time, or are you just taking the best uh, the best player out there kind of regardless of whether or not he, he quote-unquote fits the system? Yeah, I, I think you you got re- you got to recruit based on what your beliefs are. Speed's a big part of what we believe in. So, uh, you know, we're going to recruit speed. I think, he, you know, power develops. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is a great example of that. Trevor didn't hit. He only he didn't play a lot as a freshman. I think he played about 35 at bats. But his junior or sophomore, he played every game. I think he ended up. I'm going to say between three and five home runs when he hits 18 his junior year. So I I think you know guys develop within your system. Some guys like Michael Conforto when he was a freshman. I mean Michael as a freshman hit I think like 373 and had. 15 home runs, so, you know, uh, and Michael plays for the Mets now. Um, so it just depends on a bit. You, you've got to recruit guys who, uh, we, we're very fortunate, we have really good athletes. I mean, you're looking at athleticism, uh, mobility, flexibility, uh, you just watch all those things. But, you know, if they're multi-sport athletes, I mean, we love football players. They're just mentally so much tougher than guys that don't play football, to be honest with you. So uh, we really like football uh, guys if we can get them because uh, there's just a lot of adversity that goes to football too in terms of how, how mentally tough you have to be because you get ganged up quite a bit. But those uh, are just some of the things we look at. And, and Jeff, honestly, we're not 100% with recruiting. I mean, if we bring in 10 guys and eight of end up being really good, that's that's pretty good. So then there's always a couple guys that you thought were gonna be really good that end up not being as good as you thought they were gonna be. So um, you don't get to see like in the Pac twelve when we play a Pac twelve weekend, you're looking at pitchers that are probably anywhere from ninety to uh, ninety eight miles an hour consistently. So, you know, it's hard to evaluate that in high school when guys are most of the guys you see uh, play high school games are facing guys that are anywhere from 76 to 90 miles an hour. So uh, you have guys that can really hit up hill about 90 miles an hour and after it gets above 90 that hard time hit. So it just you know, it depends on the guy. These are conversations I just enjoy having cause, because there, there are so many things to consider in the recruiting game, and that's kind of one of them is do you build a, you know, is... is our team is, do you have to take a mentality of our team is always going to be this? Our team is always going to be, you know, whatever it may be, but this is how we're always going to recruit. Or do you just sort of, you know, recruit the best player out there and the team changes from year to year as far as how you're going to score runs and how you're uh, defensively set up? So that's an interesting topic to me, and I appreciate you talking about that. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things I'll share with you, the 2017 team that won 56 games, I think we hit that year. Oh my goodness! I think it's somewhere around 35 home runs for the entire year, <laughs> and that, and then the following year, those guys get stronger. 
they develop, because most of the guys are back. They get stronger, they develop, and that their the junior when all those guys got drafted and we had that, I think we had close to 70 home runs that year. So that just didn't happen. That was the development from, you know, the weight room to, you know, doing functional and, and uh, type things like mobility and flexibility stuff where guys needed to improve on certain areas. So, um, you know, that's one of those things that just, and of course the, the 17 team, we did more speed type stuff or 18 game, uh, like I said. <laughs> so, and, and Adley Rutschman, who with his freshman year, I think Adley had about 220 as a freshman. And then a sophomore year, he probably had about 350 as junior year. He had close to, I think he was 390 as junior year, close to 400. So, in fact, he, he, did, he did it over 400 as junior He walked 76 times. That's amazing. Crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, guys, guys develop. And obviously, they have to be good athletes, and they have to be willing to be coachable. Every guy is different. Some guys are willing to take more risk than others. Guys that are bigger risk takers, uh, their learning curve is higher than guys who aren't, but that's part of their personality. You, get, you need to get to know guys. Coach, last question, then I'll let you go. You've t- talked about several players so far who have made you know, enormous strides from freshman year you know, through sophomore, junior year. Uh, how how important is it, do you believe, to stick with players that have a slow uh, freshman year, or maybe maybe you're disappointing as a freshman? I know there are, there are programs in the country that are they're giving up on guys after their first fall when they just don't see what they saw in high school. Like, okay, I thought this player was going to be this, but I'm just not seeing it. We better tell him after this after fall of his freshman year, it's not going to work out, and the guy transfers. Um, do you think it's important to stick with guys or even with those guys that you've talked about, like an Adley Rutschman, does he have enough other things that he's still valuable to the team even if he doesn't really hit? Is, and is that the reason why he just kept getting opportunities? You know, we're just kind of interested in your take on that side of things. Well, when he was a freshman, we had plenty of hitters in our lineup offensively that could, you know, cover Adley. But he was such a good defender, such a good catcher. And he was clearly the best catcher in our program. So... But we're we're in we're in the developmental process. I mean, if you can't teach, you can't coach, you can't develop guys. I just don't know how you're going to win. I mean, we've had a lot of guys that didn't do much as freshmen end up being all Americans here. So uh, you've got to you've got to develop guys. This has been great. Uh, this is Pat Bailey, everybody. He's the recruiting coordinator at Oregon State University, uh, one of the best Division One programs in the country year in and year out. This has been, been really amazing. Uh, the stuff that you've shared today has been great. I just want to thank you personally for being on the, on the program. Just uh, from, the, from the few conversations we've had, I just appreciate your, your wisdom and your insight into things and just your, uh, I guess, the way, the way that you coach and the way that that you refuse to budge on things that you believe in, that your, your moral values, your core foundations, the pillars that you have at Oregon State, I just think there's so much to learn there for, for coaches really at every level, at every age. So, uh, Coach Bailey, sincerely appreciate the time you spent with us today. Yeah, I just add one more thing? Certainly. Because I've been at all levels. I've been at the high school level. I've been at the Division three level, now the Division one. It's guys want to move up. I mean, it took me 17 years, and I, and I really enjoyed my time in high school. But I, I just want guys make the big time where you are. Don't look beyond where you're at. Make wherever you're at. And I'll just give you an example. I'm at the University of Portland. This is, and you know this job. 
from coaching college baseball. Back in 91, 92, I coached at the University of Portland and made $4,000. Wow. And I, my uh, superintendent at Western High School at time said, make a decision, get a full-time job up there, or come back here and coach and teach. And, and it, they didn't have a full-time job at Portland at the time for an assistant coach. So I went back to Westland uh, in 1992 and was there until 95. And when I went, first went back, I'm not gonna lie, I had a bad attitude. And I'd just been in the Division One program and I'm going back to high school. And then I, I, I just, I read a book uh, and the guy, uh, the author's name was Frosty Westering. And it was a small book and it said, make the big time where you are. And I read that book and I went, oh my gosh, I gotta change my attitude. These kids are every bit as important these high school guys, young men, are every bit as important as the guys that coach in Portland. And I was here before, and I changed my attitude. And I just decided I'm gonna make a big time wherever I'm at. And, uh, and so that's really important. Wherever you're at, wherever your feet are planted, make the most out of it, because you owe it to the guys you coach. And when you're, you know, you're always looking at thinking, I wanna do this, I wanna do that. I, I just. I firmly believe God's in control and he's going to put you where you're supposed to be and just wherever you're at, wherever your feet are flat and make it a big time. I appreciate that so much. And there's a lot of people out there that need to hear that. Probably not many people who don't need to hear it. Um, that's what I'm talking about. That's the good advice that, and your, the wisdom that, that we need from you. So, Coach Bailey, this is this is great. Um, I'd hope to have you back here again on another podcast where we can share some other things. There's so much we didn't get into um, spent a lot of time talking about recruiting, which was awesome, uh, but so many other things that I know that you believe in and stand for that we we didn't get to talk about in this one. So um, I hope we can have you back again sometime, but but this time is very valuable. I, I know your time is very valuable every day, so just thank you for spending time with us on the podcast. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you.